take a gander at what God is doing at Church on the Rock. You know, we're so excited about this new season that we're about to get to step into as a church. And, you know, I don't believe that this has happened by accident, but I believe that God has been orchestrating every step, every decision, every plan. And, uh, you know, we've been talking about this uh, with our youth ministry since the beginning of the year. But I truly believe that the year 2020 is going to be our best year yet as a church. And, uh, you know, I don't say that this morning just because we're excited about getting a new building and a facility, but I believe we're gonna, we are about to see the most people reached, the most lost people saved that we've ever seen in the life of our church. I truly believe that, and I'm so excited about it. And so we want to encourage you, be a part of our new beginnings. I believe everybody here, we can all give something small and, uh, and see what God does. But uh, this morning, if you haven't recognized what's going on, Pastor John is not here, so you have officially been catfished, okay? So if you came expecting him, I'm so sorry. Um, please don't get up and walk out. It will hurt my feelings, okay? So I beg you to stay with me here for a few minutes. Uh, but uh, Pastor John and them, they are actually uh, with uh, Stephen Sexton, Pastor Stephen Sexton in Rogers, Arkansas. Pastor John is preaching their uh, Sunday services this morning, so be praying for them. Uh, he did ask me to tell you he will be back next weekend in the pulpit. He's going to be starting a new series called The End uh, to declare what the Bible says about the last days on earth. And so I think you'll find that interesting and encouraging, and so we want you to be here uh, for that. Uh, but this morning, before I jump into our content and everything that I've got prepared for you, you know, Romans 13, 7 tells us uh, to give honor to whom honor is owed. And I believe that we have some godly leaders and pastors here that are due honor this morning. And I want to take a moment to honor Pastor John and Linnell, Pastor Mike and Miss Sharon, uh, Pastor Travis and Whitney, Pastor Zach and Sarah, Pastor Michael and Lyric, and Pastor Vern and Kathy. Can we make some noise for them? And I'm so thankful to be able to serve alongside godly leaders, and I'm thankful to be able to uh, share with you this morning. Uh, before I kind of jump into uh, everything, I want to kind of introduce myself. If you don't know who I am, my name is Cole. I'm the youth pastor here. I've been the youth pastor in Powerhouse for four years now. Uh, actually, the four years before that, I was a youth intern, and I worked under Pastor Travis and Whitney. Uh, and then the years before that, I was just a crazy youth kid that ran around Powerhouse uh, kind of like Germinator over there. So, uh, But, uh, you know, it's been amazing because I actually gave my life to Christ in the building across the parking lot. You know, God transformed my life, and it's been so neat that he's now given me the opportunity to oversee the ministry that he used to transform my life. And uh, I'm telling you, it's such a blessing to be a part of Powerhouse. Uh, it's such a blessing to be able to minister to your kids. Uh, and I truly believe we have the best youth leaders, the best students, and the youth min best youth ministry in town. And if any of my youth uh, pastor friends are watching online, we can argue about that later, but I'm going to win. I'll just go ahead and tell you. Um, but this morning, uh, I, I kind of get asked this question all the time, what is it like to work with youth? And so I, I put together three quick little points, three things you've got to have to work in youth ministry, okay? Uh, and so number one is you have to have thick skin, okay? If you are around youth students at all for like 30 seconds or more, you know they just tell you how it is. Okay, they'll walk up to you after you've just preached your heart out and just be like, hey, that message was terrible. And you'll be like, 
Okay, cool. Okay, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. You get a new haircut, they're like, hey, that looks awful. You need to go back. And it's like, okay, I'm so sorry. Uh, I mean, they'll just be straight up front with you, you know? And, uh, and so I, I kind of recognize, I think some of you would recognize this, that little sarcastic and critical nature of your teen that you've come to love so much. We deal with that times 100, okay? So if you are in youth ministry, you've got to have thick skin. The second... I believe this is somewhere in scripture. I've just not found it yet. I'm still looking, okay? You have to be able to talk trash. <laughs> All right, looking at me, okay? Uh, you know, in youth, we, uh, we preach uh, the grace of Jesus. We preach turning the other cheek. But, y'all, when it comes to trash talk, we revert to the old covenant. It's eye for an eye, ear for an ear. You start talking trash at me, I'm about to burn you up, Okay? And so uh, sometimes if you burn them up good enough, they'll be scared to engage with you the next time. So, uh, but anyway, you've got to be able to talk trash if you're in youth ministry. And then this, uh, the last point is you have to love Mexican food. Can I get an amen? amen. Let me explain. Um, about two years ago... We decided to take our youth summer trips, uh, we decided to take them separately. So we took our high school to camp separate and our junior high students to camp separate. And while we were at our junior, su our junior high summer camp, uh, we were in the guys' bunk room, you know, where uh, it's pretty crazy to be in a junior high boys' bunk room. It just smells like Axe. Um, <laughs> and uh, we're there, we're, we're getting ready to go to bed, we're on sketchy bunk beds because it's not a real youth trip unless you sleep on a bed that could collapse at any given moment. And so I go to sleep and I wake up in the morning and there's something stuck on my face. And you know, I'm half asleep, I'm really confused, and so I reach up and I peel something off my face and I'm holding it and I kid you not, it's a cheese quesadilla. A greasy, nasty, dirt on it, cheese quesadilla stuck to my face. Like, how disgusting is that? Some of y'all are like, that's not disgusting at all. That's an answered prayer. I, I pray that I'd wake up with Mexican food stuck to my face. Amen. I'm signing up for youth ministry today. Well, you know, I was sitting there. I was holding this quesadilla, and I was just taking it in. I was, honestly, I was a little mad. And then as a parent, I'm sure you can remember some of these moments. You're kind of mad, but then you also know this is kind of funny. And so I'm mad, I'm kind of thinking it's funny, and so I wake all of our boys up, and you know, I'm, man, I'm, I'm kind of chewing them out pretty good, and I, well, I finish giving them this lesson, I think that, you know, I just, I really just instilled some character into these students, I just taught them something real good, and, and, uh, and so one of the boys at the end of my speech, he kind of lifts his hand, just real hesitantly, and then he goes, are you going to eat that? <laughs> so I gave it to him, and he had a quesadilla for breakfast, uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, but that is a true story. You know, uh, I, so hey, I want to say, just make sure you pray for me and our youth leaders because we need it, <laughs> but you know, out of all the little quirky things that you deal with in youth ministry, I'll say this, man, it's so worth it when you see God change somebody's life. You know, I'll take a thousand quesadillas to the face if it means one more young person will come to know Jesus. And so I, I'm so thankful to be a part of Powerhouse. I'm so thankful that I get the opportunity to minister uh, to your kids. Uh, thank you for all of your support. Uh, but this morning, I want to share with you one, uh, one more story before we jump into the Word that I feel like all of us relate to, especially the older kind of adults in the room. When you start growing up, we all have a similar fear. At some point, you begin to, to kind of get scared of this. It might even give you nightmares. But you're afraid of becoming your parents. Anybody? 
Have you ever had the moments, adults, where you begin to like talk to somebody, something comes out of your mouth, and as soon as it does, you go, oh no, that was exactly what my mom used to say. Uh, maybe you're a, you're a young dad in here, and you're already in the neighborhood yelling at the young kids to stay off your lawn, and then you're like, who have I become, Okay. And, uh, you know, growing up my entire life, I knew that I got my sense of humor from my dad. He's always goofing around. He's always joking around. And, uh, and people used to always tell me that, and I would kind of brush them off. And I remember specifically when Brittany and I, my wife, we started dating, you know, I would be joking around with her, goofing around, and she would just hit me with the, okay, Butch, this is my dad's name. So, okay, you're acting just like your dad. And, uh, and I would kind of brush it off, whatever. But once we got married, we bought a little house. And uh, I was out in the yard doing some yard work, okay? I planted some seed. I was out with a, the water sprinkler watering my lawn because that's what men do, right? We, we water our lawns, and uh, I don't know why we're so interested in that. Uh, but I was out there watering our lawn, and the next thing I know, my wife is sticking her phone through the blinds, and she starts taking pictures of me. <laughs> and I'm just thinking she's wanting to take pictures of me doing manly stuff, you know? But this, this is the picture that she took. I don't know why y'all are laughing. I haven't even said anything yet. Okay, y'all, I, I totally turned into dad mode here, okay? Like, I'm out in the yard. I've got the crazy garden hat on. I've got the long sleeve shirt covering up the dad bod. Come on, can I get an amen? I've got the, the shorts that are honestly, like, they're just a little too short, you know? And then to top it all off, I'm rocking a pair of Crocs, okay? Y'all know, dads, you've got a pair of Crocs around the house. You slip on. And uh, when I saw this picture, I had this moment where I go, I have become my dad. <laughs> I just knew my dad, y'all, should be the spokesman for Croc, okay? He's got every pair, every color, every design. If you walk by the store and they've got a new one in the window, like he goes in and gets them. You know what I mean? It's like full of his, clo uh, his closets, full of them. His, uh, his life motto is if you ain't crocking, you ain't rocking, baby. Like you've got to be wearing Crocs. Um, and so I had this moment where I, I realized that, man, I had kind of become my dad. You know, isn't it interesting, I feel like all of us can relate to this, that in some regard we really are similar to our parents. You know, maybe you have similar interests, maybe your personality reflects one of your parents, maybe, uh, I guess every family kind of has lingo or phrases that are like unique to your family, like weird things that you say, and you, then you get older and realize that everyone doesn't say that thing. Um, but I want to point this out, you know, oftentimes even our spiritual life is a reflection of the spiritual life of our parents. And so I want to ask you this morning to get a little more serious. If your child was to become exactly like you, would that be a good thing or a bad thing? Because I want you to realize that all of us in this room, we in part, we instill the things that are in our life into the people around us. Whether you're a parent or whether you just have influence of people at work, the, the friends that you have in life, I'm telling you, we instill and impart the, the habits and lifestyle choices. And so when you are raising children, you're instilling these same things, these same habits, these, these choices that you have made, you're instilling these things into your children. And so even your spiritual life, you instill that into your children. I want you to think about if that is a good thing or a bad thing. And all of us in this room, we probably have good things that we would instill in our children. We probably have some other things that we would not be as proud of, right? But I'm telling you, 
man, we need to really think about what we are instilling in our kids. And this morning, I want to challenge us a little bit out of the book of Daniel. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Daniel chapter 1 for a message entitled, Exiled and Holy. And so if you would bow your head with me, I just want to say a prayer before we jump into the word. Lord, we do come to you in Jesus' name. God, we thank you that you're here with us. And Lord, we just pray right now that you would come and speak to our hearts. Lord, let every one of us receive exactly what we need. And Lord, not only hear your word, but Lord, you would help us to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen, amen. Well, at the start of the book of Daniel, we actually see the fall of Jerusalem. Uh, Israel is conquered by Babylon, and King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he comes in, he takes many of the Jews as captives back to his nation, Babylon. Okay, and so these Jews, these good little uh, Jewish boys and girls, they get brought back to Babylon to one of the most sinful and corrupt cultures that has ever existed. Okay, and so many of these people, they get swept away in the culture, uh, they get caught up in sin, they fall away from God, but some, although they were exiled, remained holy. I don't know about you, but I recognize that today we live in a dark and sinful culture. And I believe just like Daniel and his friends, that God can empower us to live for him, to stand for righteousness, even in a godless culture. Amen? Amen. Look with me at verse 3. It says, then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Skip to verse 6. It says, among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah, and the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah, he called Shadrach, Mishael, he called Meshach, and Azariah, he called Abednego. Okay, think with me for just a moment. Israel's conquered, the king brings captives back to the nation of Babylon, and his goal was to force the Jews to conform to their culture. Nebuchadnezzar wanted these Jews to begin to think like them, to speak like them, to act like them, to even eat and drink like them, and he especially wanted them to believe like the Chaldeans. And so he wanted them to become so engulfed in uh, the, the Chaldean, the Babylonian culture, that they would forget about their own culture. They would forget about their own beliefs. And what I want you to see this morning is really this is a picture of the plan of the enemy. This is still what the enemy wants to do today. And and King Nebuchadnezzar recognized that uh, for him to be able to accomplish his plan, he had to start with who? He had to start with the youth. Verse 4 reveals that he, he knew that he had to start with the youth because he knew that they were shapeable, they were moldable, and they often conformed to the standards by which they're raised. Verse 6 points out four men in particular, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And one of the first things they did when they brought them into this culture was give them new names. Okay, all four of these young men originally had names that rooted their identity in God. Rooted their identity in the God of Israel. And so what they tried to do was to remove this God-given identity and force them to find their identity in something else. Hey, this was the plan in Babylon, and this is the same plan of the enemy uh, that he uses today. And this is my first point 
this morning, we have to recognize the scheme of the enemy and stand against it. We have to recognize the scheme of the enemy and stand against it. Hey, listen, every person here, the enemy wants to strip you of the identity that you have that roots you in Christ. He wants to remove it. He wants you to find your identity in anything else. He wants you to find your identity in, in your position, how much money you make, in your skill, in your talent, in your hobby, in your popularity. He wants you to find your identity in anything other than Christ. Man, he wants us to taste and eat of the things of the world that we would have a desire for the things of the world and not the things of God. He wants to educate us in the ways of the world that we would think like everyone else in the culture thinks. He wants that for every person here, but he especially targets the young. John 10.10, we all know this, it says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy And I believe that today is the day to recognize that the enemy wants to come against you. He wants to come against your family. But today is the day that we stand against him. And he wants you to be so caught up in everything else, so caught up in the culture that that you are ineffective in building God's kingdom. And I might step on a, a few toes here for just a second. But I believe that Satan is even happy with complacent churchgoers. I believe that he's happy when we just come and listen and we don't really live like Christ outside the walls of the church. And I believe that the enemy begins to get a little nervous when the people of God find their identity in God and begin to live out his will and his purpose and fulfill the Great Commission. The enemy begins to get nervous and that is what we're called to do. But the enemy's role is to keep you from fulfilling that purpose, to keep you from reaching others for Christ and honestly, I think the enemy is doing a pretty good job. Man, our sin, our, our culture is full of sin. I think we would all agree. Uh, our culture, uh, and to most people, sin is accepted. And not only is it accepted, but sin is celebrated. We could all talk about, you know, things that we see in our workplaces or at school that we disagree with. Things that shouldn't be happening in our culture. Uh, and, and I don't want to focus on how bad everything has gotten. But I want you to, to think about this because this is the real question. What are we doing to stand against it? Everybody in this room, we know uh, that the culture has gotten bad. But are we doing anything to stand against the enemy? What are we doing to protect our family? What are we doing to protect our church? And not only to protect these things, but to cultivate it, to see them grow, to see them prosper, even in the midst of a godless culture. Hey, a lot of us in this room, we're probably not living crazy lives. Our lives probably aren't full of crazy things. But uh, if we were to be honest, we're probably not being as as intentional as we should be to stand against the enemy, to honor God, to, to fulfill the Great Commission. And you know, when you start talking about the culture just a little bit, it's easy to kind of get discouraged and uh, to kind of lose hope. But let me give you some hope. I read to you the first half of John 10, 10 that says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But the second half says, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have life abundant. Hey, Jesus came to stand against the enemy. He came to win the victory so his people wouldn't have to be defeated their entire life. And in fact, he says, I came to win the battle so you could have abundant life. Hey, American Christianity has gotten this twisted because the abundant life is not a a life of wealth and extravagance. The abundant life is a life that is filled with more of him. More of his presence, more of his goodness. Willing to be used as a vessel to, to honor him, to build his kingdom. 
That's what the abundant life looks like. And can I tell you this morning, that kind of lifestyle is the only one that will truly satisfy. That will be the only lifestyle that will truly satisfy the darkest parts of your soul. And there are some people here this morning that you know that you want more out of life. You feel unsatisfied. You feel uh, just incontent. And and I want to tell you that I would be willing to bet it's because you're not walking in the full purpose and plan of God. You're not living the abundant life that God has called you to live. And I'm telling you, it's a life that will satisfy that sin will never satisfy. Hey, most of us in this room, we've recognized the scheme of the enemy, but today's the day where we decide uh, to stand against it. And the best way to stand against the enemy is by pointing every person that we encounter to the foot of the cross. You know, what, what would it look like if our whole congregation from this weekend, we walk out of these doors and we decide, you know what? It's time to stop making excuses. It's time to stop being complacent. But I'm going to begin to live like God has called me to live outside the walls of the church. What would it look like? What would our workplaces look like? What would our homes begin to look like? I'm telling you, lives would begin to be transformed. I mean, I think this weekend, it's a weekend to decide. I'm, I'm beginning to stand against the enemy. You know, I'm so proud of our, uh, our youth students, man. Some of them have been just getting this and, and seeing them begin to live for God. Y'all, it just makes me so excited. Uh, you know, I, I think about one of our students, Jordan Barkley. Uh, she was uh, one of the young girls that led a song right over here this morning. When I first met her, she came in a powerhouse. I was trying to talk to her. She wouldn't even say a word to me. I would try to talk to her, and she would just, like, look at the floor. And I thought, okay, okay, cool. Um, a little, it was a little awkward, but I... I think it's so amazing that this weekend she's up here leading worship in front of adults on the weekend. Every Wednesday she's leading worship in in youth ministry, and she's beginning to get over some of those fears and just say, you know what, enough's enough. I just want to honor God with my life. Uh, I I think about uh, Clayton Boyd a a few years ago. He was in eighth grade, and, uh, man, he knew that God was calling him to do more. And so he went to his junior high and started a ministry on campus. They've been running it now three years. He's in 10th grade. He's got several friends that are doing it with him, uh, Cassandra McAdams and John Paxton. And just in the last week, they've seen four of their classmates come to know Christ in the middle of a classroom at school. What does it look like? When we say, hey, enough is enough, I'm getting rid of my excuses, I'm overcoming my fears, I'm getting beyond my insecurities, and I'm going to begin to live the life that God has called me to live. And I really believe this weekend is a weekend where we say, hey, I'm getting beyond these things, and I'm going to begin to go all in. I'm going to honor God. And it's time for us to stand against the enemy. Look with me at verses 8 and 9. It says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And so Daniel and his friends, they're in the midst of Babylon. They're good little Jewish boys. You can only imagine the things that they've been exposed to up to this point in their stay in Babylon, all the things that are happening in the culture, all the things that they're probably trying to abstain from and not take part in. And to me, the grand scheme of things, what they're being served, what they're about to eat, really seems quite insignificant. On top of that, I don't know about you, but it doesn't take much of an excuse for me to cheat on a diet. Like, an Oreo's there, like, I'm just going to eat it. You know what I mean? Like, it's not that hard to get me to cheat. Like, I feel like this is a little insignificant. But although we might think it's insignificant, Daniel and his friends chose not to compromise. 
And this is point number two this morning. Never justify compromise. Never justify compromise. John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. James 4, 17 says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it's a sin. Daniel and his friends chose not to justify compromise in the midst of a sinful culture. And, uh, you know, this is something that uh, can be really common. I think it's easy to fall in this trap of the enemy called comparison. We see it a lot in the lives of our young students. I think it applies to adults as well. But we can begin to look at the lives of people around us, see the sins, see the struggles, the issues that they, that they kind of deal with, and then we can look at our own lives and say, well, at least I don't deal with that, right? At least I don't struggle with that. At least I'm not where they are. And, and listen, um, I think it's really easy to get caught up in this when we live in a sinful culture because you can always find somebody who's doing worse than you. But I want you to recognize that when we begin to do this, we are unconsciously allowing the culture to set the standards of our life. The culture should never set the standards of our life. Only God's word should set the standards for our life. We don't live how everybody else says we should live. We live how God calls us to live. You want to compare yourself to a, someone's life, you open up the Gospels, you open up the book of Acts and say, Lord, I want my life to look like this. Don't justify compromise because you're comparing your life to someone else's around you. Amen. The standards for our lives are set by the word of God and not the culture. You know, I think uh, in many ways in American culture today, uh, Christians have began to lower our standards. We begin to, to, to kind of drop the bar, uh, but the truth is that God doesn't change his standards. I want to read you a couple statistics that will support this. This is a study put out by Barna Research Group. And they say uh, they discovered that 98% of professed born-again young people do believe in Christ, but they do not reflect Christ-like attitudes or actions. And it says there's only a 4% difference in the actions of young people that believe in Christ versus those that do not believe. You know what this sounds like to me? Christians dropping their standards to comply with the standards of the culture. The culture never sets the standard. God's word sets the standard. Hey, students, listen to me today. Man, don't justify living a lifestyle of sin just because everybody else around you is living in sin. Just because they're doing it doesn't make it right. We don't abide by the standards of the culture, but we dig into God's word and live how he's called us to live. Man, in verse 8, you see Daniel and his friends, they stand for God's standards. They stand for God. And in verse 9, it immediately says, and God gives them favor. And I want to tell you, when you choose to stand for God, when you choose to honor him, to live a holy and righteous life, God brings his blessing and favor upon your life. And I'm telling you, his blessing, his favor, that sort of life is, is far superior than any other life you could dream up apart from God. I want to live, with my, live my life with the blessing and favor of God. I don't know about you. And I'm telling you, today's a day where we say, I'm not going to justify compromise. It seems like today, more than ever, young generations are, are walking away from God. Most of us, we uh, probably recognize this. A lot of you, you look at the younger generations and uh, you think they're a little crazy, especially the folks that eat Tide Pods and all these other things. Um, it's just, it's kind of insane. But you know, I can't help but to, to ask myself this question, how in the world has this happened? 
how in the world do so many young people begin to uh, been able to walk away from God? And, and parents, I want to talk to you for just a minute. And please don't get mad at me. You promise? Okay, that was, that was, that was 50-50 there. It was iffy. Saturday night was questionable too. Let me, let me continue. You know, I believe a lot of young people have walked away from God because we haven't been the best examples. I believe we've done a poor job of fulfilling Proverbs 22.6 of raising children in the way that they should go. And listen, I, I don't want you to be aggravated at me. Please don't shut me out. Hey, I know I'm young. I know that I'm not even a parent. I also feel like I've learned a lot of things over the last several years of working with youth. I also know that you can have the best example, the best teacher, and your child still choose to rebel. Just look at the life of Judas. But I haven't come to condemn you or make you feel guilty about things that are going on in your home this morning. I've come to encourage you to do better. And I want to tell you this. If you're not intentional in raising your children and shaping them, the culture will be. You know, a lot of parents, you know, you feel good about getting your child in church or coming to a Wednesday night, and we have them for an hour. How many hours does the culture have them? It's our job as parents and authority figures and in young people's lives to live as a Christian example, to show them what a Christian life should really look like. Be intentional in raising your children in a godly way. Teach them how to pray. Teach them how to read, God, read God's word. Teach them how to worship. And hey, listen, parents, you're not going to be perfect. And that is great. Go to them and model what it looks like to come to someone in humility, admit your faults, and then keep seeking God with all of your heart. You know, I, I can't help but to think about this. How different would our kids be if it was normal for them to, to grow up in homes where mom and dad, they were praying for strangers at the restaurant. They were praying for people when they go to Walmart. How, how different would our kids be if they were raised in families where their parents were constantly inviting people to church because they had a passion to reach the lost? How different would our kids be if when we get cut off in traffic, we respond in a godly way instead of letting a little word slip? Might be convicting to some of us, even myself. You know, you can get aggravated when somebody cuts you off in traffic. Hey, listen, man, this is one of the biggest points I felt like I needed to bring this weekend. But we have to stop being content with raising our children in church and instead start raising our children to be the church. The goal isn't to raise good kids. Atheists and agnostics, people in the culture, have good kids. The goal is to raise godly kids. One day when I have children, I don't want a good kid. I want a kid that builds the kingdom of God. I want somebody who reaches the lost. And that should be our goal, that your child would live that sort of life and that we would resemble, we would live that sort of example for them to follow. Amen. I'll tell you this. The number one thing that I pray for with our youth students, more than their struggles, more than sin, is I pray with them for you. Man, nearly every day I get texts, I get calls or whatever where students want to pray for their parents. Students pray that their parents would begin to passionately pursue God. That they would begin to lead their families spiritually and in a greater way. 
our young people desire it. They have a hunger for it. They have a hunger for authentic Christianity. Parents, it's our job to give that to them. Can I tell you that passion to pursue God is not just something that you have when you're young, but it's something that we're called to walk in every single day? You know, it's easy to hear things like this, and, and uh, you can think, well, oh, he's the youth pastor. This is uh, youthful passion or even ignorance. But passion to pursue God isn't something you just have when you're young. I began to think about the story of Joshua and Caleb. Most of you guys, you, you would uh, be familiar with this. Uh, I said last night that it was actually about Joshua. This is about Caleb. It says, Caleb was 40 years old uh, when they came back with a good report of the land of Canaan. When Moses sent out the 12 spies, they were about to go into the land of Canaan. Instead of believing Joshua and Caleb who brought good reports, they believed the 10 spies with bad reports. And so instead, they decided not to conquer the land. They go and they wander in the desert for 40 years. And so 45 years later, Caleb is 85 years old. And this was his response in Joshua 14, 11. He says, I'm still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. And he goes on and says, send me for I will take the land. You know, I think it is so amazing. Caleb here is 85 years old, and he was just as strong and passionate about walking in the plan and the purpose of God as he was when he was 40. Parents, listen. Passion for God is not just something you have when you're young. It's something that we're called to have all the days of our life. And if you've lost passion, if you've lost zeal to pursue God, today's the day to stir that inside you. Today's the day to return to your first love. Germinator's liking that. <laughs> hey, you know, something super interesting happened in our youth ministry at the beginning of the year. Um, you know, we've always had a group that come over to Powerhouse. They walk from school on Wednesdays from Texas High to Powerhouse. A lot of them come and play basketball. Uh, they hang out with us. But uh, many of them, honestly, for years, there's just been kind of a disconnect with them engaging in the spiritual part of our services. You know, a lot of these students, they come from broken homes and uh, honestly, they come from homes where their parents just don't care. It's, uh, it's super sad. It breaks my heart. And, you know, at the beginning of the year, I, I felt a burden for them. I was just praying for, for them at my house one day. And I felt God tell me that I needed to be specific in trying to reach them. And so I just simply said, okay, God, what, what do I need to do? And my first thought was McDonald's. I said, okay, looks like we're going to McDonald's. And so our first Wednesday of the year, uh, we loaded up all these students. I think it was just five or six of them that night into one of the church vans. We took them to McDonald's, and uh, we grabbed or we bought them some food. It was off the dollar menu because I am a youth pastor. Um, but we hung out for about 45 minutes. And, you know, at the end of our uh, little interchange there, um, I just began to share with them for a second about what God placed on my heart for them that he loved them, that he had a plan, that he could pull them out of the situations that they're in and to restore them, to bring them beyond the lifestyle that their parents lived. And at the end, I, I gave them an opportunity. I just felt led to, in the middle of McDonald's, ask those students if they needed to get right with Christ. And you know what? Every student raised their hand and said, I, I need to submit my life to Christ. And in the middle of McDonald's, we circle up. We don't care who's there. And we just begin to pray, and the presence of God fills McDonald's, and these students get right with God. You know, the Wednesday after, 
Uh, I was there. It was probably about 4 o'clock. Those students showed up. They all walked in. Every one of them walked straight up to me, shook my hand, and gave me a big hug, and they told me that they loved me. One of the kids at the end looked at me and said, nobody's ever cared for me the way that you cared for me. And I said, that's the love of God. Listen, parents, I say this not to brag on myself or our ministry, but I want to tell you, these kids aren't bad. These younger generations aren't bad. Don't give up on them. They simply need somebody to grab them and say, hey, there's a better way, and his name is Jesus Christ. We need to model what it looks like to honor God. We need to model for them what it looks like to really live for him, to live in authentic Christianity. It breaks my heart. So many students, I can't tell you how many times I've heard students come and tell me and say, Pastor Cole, you're the closest thing that I have to a dad. Listen, God gives grace. Scripture tells us that God is a father to the fatherless. And I believe he gives grace to those students who grow up with no parents and no authority to guide them and shape them. But listen, God can give grace, but they shouldn't have to go through that. Would we be a church that fathers the fatherless? that mothers the motherless, that we take these young people under our wings and we show them how to live, that we would honor God, that we would raise them, we would shape them, we would show them the way that they should go. Would we be a church that says, I will be a Daniel in the midst of a godless culture when nobody else will stand, when nobody else will honor God, I'll stand up. Even if I'm by myself, God, I want to be a Daniel. I want to please you. I'll please you at work. I'll be the Daniel. God, I'll please you at school. I'll be the Daniel. Lord, I want to carry your, your spirit, your presence with me everywhere that I go. Let our, be a, let our church be a church that are full of Daniels. Let us never justify compromise. Never justify compromise in the way you pursue God. Never justify compromise in the way that you raise your children. Students, never justify compromise in the way that you live because everybody else lives that way. Let us stand against the enemy. And I want to skip to Daniel 3 because you can't preach the story of Daniel without at least touching on this for a second. Most of us were familiar with this part of the story, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they have refused to bow down to a huge golden idol that King Nebuchadnezzar actually built. And it says uh, if they choose not to bow down in worship, they're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And so instead of giving in, they choose to stand for God. And I want to read you a chunk of scripture here, starting with uh, Daniel 3, verse 19. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them in the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. And then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said, true, O king. 
And he answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire. They are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like one of the gods. Come on, that's good. I want to invite our worship team to come up as I prepare to close. But I think this is so amazing. These three young men choose to stand for God. They get thrown into the fire. The next thing they know, there's a fourth man standing in the fire. Most scholars believe this isn't just an angel, but that this is an Old Testament appearance of Christ. It's called a theophany, a a visible appearance of God. Jesus shows up and he keeps them from harm. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like me. And I tend to analyze people and think about things a lot as people share. And uh, maybe you recognize there's some things in your life that probably need to shift or change a little bit. Maybe you need to to take some steps to to try to be more intentional in raising your kids. Maybe you need to take some steps and and, uh, really begin to to, to live for God in a greater way. But a lot of us, we have this thing in the back of our mind, this doubt, that you don't really know if you can do it. I don't know if I can get my family back on track. I don't know if I can really live for God in a greater way. I want to tell you this morning, you can do it. This is my final point. You can do it because Jesus goes through the fire with you. Jesus goes through the fire with you. Hey, some of us here, you feel like you can't make it on your own. You can't do it alone. And I'm here to tell you that's exactly right. (laughs) You can't. You can't do it. But Romans 8, 31 says, if God is for us, then who can be against us? Through God's strength, Daniel and his friends remained holy even while they were exiled. And I believe through God's strength, he can empower us to live for God in a godless culture. He can empower you to raise godly kids. He can empower you to be a witness at your workplace. He can empower you to be a witness at school but you can't do it alone. You can only do it through his power, amen? You know, uh, if somebody's told you that living for Christ is easy, they lied. <laughs> there are gonna be times that are difficult. Living for God isn't easy. Raising godly kids isn't easy, especially navigating all the technology and the different problems and struggles that come with that today. Hey, no doubt, there are gonna be times in your life where your life is tested by fire. But I want to encourage you this morning to say, Jesus goes through the fire with you. You can stand in the middle of the fire. You can stand in the midst of tribulation. You can stand in the midst of trial because Jesus said he'll be there through it all. I want to invite you to stand with me this morning. And before you begin to sneak out,